Hi, I'm Resham Arden and this is the Now I Know podcast covering a wide range of wellbeing topics. With me today is Arthi Shah, an actress and motivational speaker. In today's conversation, we want the audience to come away and say, now I know it's okay to be different. Arthi, thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. You're, I know you have a really <laughs> busy schedule, so I'm just so pleased that you're here today. Um, you wear many hats. So tell the audience, who is Arthi? So as you say, I'm an actress, motivational speaker. I'm also a corporate model. Um, I'm a mum. I'm a creature performer. Um, I'm also a writer and uh, working on some other projects as well on the side. So, yeah. Which we, we're not going to talk too much about yes. now because you signed NDAs, which is absolutely yes. fine. But there's, it's really exciting times because I think more people are going to hear about you and be like, wow, that is Arthi. So as we start talking, people are, they probably know you, but not in this form. So it's going to be quite interesting for people to recognise your other talents and other things you've been on. So I want to go back to your early days. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I'd like to start the conversation of because I know this podcast is about now. It's I know it's okay to be different. Mm. So, at what point did you realise mm. that you were different? Okay, so I was born with a condition called pseudoachondroplasia, which I like to joke around and say it's a big word for a small person because mm-hmm. I don't think people should be labelled. Mm-hmm. I I just say that I'm small, and it wasn't until I was about two that I was diagnosed, and my growth rate was always on the slower side. Um, and my life wasn't different. It shouldn't really be different because I looked different. Yeah. Um, but as I was sort of approaching my teens, I became more self-conscious and more aware of my differences compared to everybody else in terms of my growth. It stood out a lot more to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never bullied in school and really grateful to have so many friends and just be who I was. But it wasn't until I was walking home from school one day, I must have been about 13, 14, and you have those little insecurities when you're going through hormonal changes. And there were a bunch of boys and they called me a midget, which is a derogatory name, it's horrible, and I don't like the name. And I had stones thrown at me. Wow. And I don't know what I hurt the most, whether it was the name calling or the stones. And I was with three of my friends at the time, who tried to protect me, telling the boys, leave her alone. And I just remember, you know, being really upset, going home, running upstairs and locking myself in my bedroom. And I think that was the beginning of a dark time for me of realisation that, yes, Artie, you are different. You're not like everybody else. You are smaller. And having those names called and the stones thrown at me made me feel like, is this what my life is going to be like? Am I always going to be ridiculed? Am I always going to be singled out? And I, I didn't want that. I didn't want my life to be like. And I just hated my life and um, felt like I stood out like a sore thumb. Um, that was, I think, the only time and that I realised, yeah, wow. I'm very different to everybody else. But I love that you went through so many years of not even noticing or mm. just just fitting in with everybody else. Because we are all different at the end of the day. No, yes. one, no one is yeah. the same. But, you know... It's amazing because you you're around, you were, must have been in an environment where you were accepted and you just you were just part of everybody else and yeah. then suddenly you saw those teenagers and yeah. it was like that was a bit of an eye opener. Yes, and then and even more so, you know, I started to notice, to notice more and more things. We'd go shopping, you know, with friends and stuff, and 
you know, looking at clothes and things, but I couldn't fit into things. So I would adjust instead of looking at clothes, I'd look at accessories or bags or makeup and things like that. And, um, and you know, I would try and fit in, but I knew, you know, I am very different. And I don't know whether it was co um, coincidence at the time, but I was reading a magazine associated with the Sunday paper and there was an article about a young girl who was having a leg lengthening operation. And I read the article and I thought, wow, this is what I need to do. I could gain an extra six inches in height, wow. which was a huge deal. And I spoke to my parents and my parents have always been supportive of everything that I do. I'm so grateful. Um, and we spoke to the doctor who then referred us to the um, specialist surgeon up in Sheffield. Um, we had an appointment with him and my dad drove four hours there, four hours back. We had regular appointments and we talked about the surgery and it would mean um, cutting my bone right. at my thigh and my calf and inserting metal rods into my leg and having screws, which I would need to turn a millimetre a day. I would be in hospital yeah. for a year. I would miss out on a whole year of school. I was okay with that to be a year behind. Um, and it wasn't until a week before the surgery that I decided not to go ahead with it because I realised I was doing it so that I could feel accepted in society. And if I didn't love who I was, how can I expect anybody else to love me for who I am? And that was the best decision I'd made. Otherwise, I think I would constantly be trying to fit in or trying to do something to please people, to say, hey, I'm here, accept me. Yeah. But I realised, look, this is me. And I loved, I began to love who I was. And and I, I think that was the best decision. And, you know, if you don't love who you are, how can you expect anybody else to love you? Yeah. And we're all different. And imagine if um, we all look the same, how dull would our society oh, totally. look? Boring. And it's wonderful that we have so many differences in society. Absolutely. So... You know, even like someone who is, you know, the, the same height as someone else, they've also got an insecurity about something else, isn't it? So what extent are people going to to change it? But like you say, it all comes from within us, isn't it? Like yeah. we need to accept us for ourselves. So your story, which is why it's come, it's so relatable because it's not just about the height or the leg length. There's someone's listening to this that feels that they are not accepted because they're different. Mm. But like you say, we're, we're all different in so many ways. There's so many people around a table in a room in a family that are unique. They're so different. So I think your story today, I think, will be so powerful to so many people, which I'm so thank you for sharing it as well. But between that time where you came home and you were so upset with the, you know, what those boys said to the leg lengthening process, what was happening between there? Were you having sort of like, did you sort of become more reserved? Because you're obviously a very outgoing child. I did. I became reserved. I became depressed. Um, I became quiet. Well, back then the word was... Uh, I've become moody, <laughs> uh, you know, th th there's so many things. Moody, especially being a teenager, right? Yeah, That's a, yes. a label of a teenager. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, you know, being, being different and a teenager is a lot to deal with and you, you don't know how to come to terms with it. And back then there weren't so many things, you know, resources going online, speaking to people. I mm. mean, I could speak to my friends and... Um, talking to my friends recently about that experience, you know, they even said, how could people be so cruel? As 14-year-olds, they were also thinking, 13, 14-year-olds, how can people be so horrible? Yeah. And it is a cruel world that we live in,
but there's a lot that needs to be done to make it more, you know, nicer, more um, acceptable for people. Yeah. So when you made that decision not to have the leg lengthening surgery, mm. what else changed? Did, were you starting to work on yourself, your mindset? Like, you know, you've obviously just parked that idea away now, like, this is not for me. I, I realised this is me, that's it, you know, just get on with your life and don't feel sorry for yourself. And also the feeling that you have when you're feeling down and you're feeling sorry for yourself, it's not a great feeling. And I, for one, didn't like it. And I wanted to get back to the feeling of being happy and being, you know, the joyful child, teenager that I was. So I tried to hold on to that. And, you know, just, I think I just um, thought to myself, that just be, be who way. you are, yeah. be who you are. Absolutely love that. So we're going to touch more on your early days as well, but mm. I want to focus on your acting career because I mm. think it's fascinating. I love it. So the, the, obviously people don't know about you. So can you tell us about the roles you've played in, the movies you've been in? Mm -hmm. um, I know you can't talk about what you're working on now, but I know that's why, you know, I'm so grateful you're here because you've got such a busy um, schedule at the moment. But what roles have you played and how did you get into the acting career? Okay, so I got into the acting career... Um, in my, oh my gosh, in my 30s, actually. Um, I didn't pursue drama um, whilst I was studying. Um, you know, maybe back then I should have, because then, you know, I wonder what I'd be doing right now, you know. But you can always say, oh, I wish I did this, I wish I did that. But I studied business, and it wasn't until I graduated that my year tutor said to me, Artie, I can really see you working in this industry. And even though I, I just graduated, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I, I didn't want to follow the path that I'd studied in. Yeah. So um, I moved to London, uh, but before I moved to London, I had to find a job in London. And without giving my age away, this was sort of around 2000, mm -hmm. and there was no such thing as diversity and inclusion. Yeah. And I would, you know, the best way to get a job is to make, meet with a recruiter which I would, and um, I had three obstacles holding me back. I was, a not was, I still am Asian, mm -hmm. I'm a female, and I'm still four foot tall. Um, and I was given so much hope, you know, we'll get you a job, we'll get you a job, but I didn't receive, you know, a single interview. I knew I was employable, I was articulate, friendly, you know, what more could an employer want, right? Yeah. Um, and so I started applying myself, and then I got a job working in media sales. Um, and um, and then I, you know, I wanted to follow my path to work in the entertainment industry, um, but I had no experience, and I needed to earn more money so that I could do courses. So I did, a, you know, I moved into recruitment, which is quite ironic, <laughs> um, but I recruited differently, mm. you know. And um, I did a course in method acting. Um, I got headshot done and I tried to get a bit of experience. I auditioned for Blue Peter back in the day, which is huge. Oh. It's, I'm still so proud of that. Um, but then, you know, a, a couple of agents would say, look, you know, there's a role for an elf in a Christmas episode. And back then, you know, I, I, I did something with a well-known band for a music channel, a leading music channel, and I dressed up as an elf. And looking back, I was like, I don't know why I did that, you know. I think maybe to get the experience, but I still didn't like it. Yeah. And even now and again, I, I, I get 
offered roles with dialogue, which is great, which I want to do. But again, it's an elf. And I'm like, no, this is not why I'm in the industry. I want to break down stereotypes and barriers. Yeah. Um, so I'm constantly auditioning. But my career has taken an interesting path where I've done a lot of creature work, physical work. And so you wouldn't see me. You wouldn't know it's me. But yeah. I've been in um, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows as a goblin, wow. which was the first feature film that I worked on. And then four hours of prosthetics to make me look like a, you know, a, a scary looking goblin, which, which was created by a bunch of talented makeup artists, FX artists. And then I worked on Attack the Block and um, I was an alien, a little alien in the film running on arm extensions on all fours wow. um which was the best what i keep saying it has to this day been the best workout i don't think i'd ever <laughs> look i'd ever look so good <laughs> um and then um i worked on the paralympic opening ceremony as a procast aerialist wow. um uh, learning um static trapeze rope work and things like that and that that was a great experience and Again, with that, back in 2012, I met so many wonderful people yeah. during the Paralympic opening ceremony, um, people in wheelchairs, um, people with missing limbs, hard of hearing, partially sighted. And there were so many different abilities, um, so many people who own their own businesses, you know, and even my perceptions were changed. You know, anybody can do anything. And Absolutely. we were all full of hope back in 2012 that, you know, things are going to change. Things didn't really change that much. It was all talk. Mm. Then at 2013, I worked on Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I, I, was a, I did the reference movement for Rocket Raccoon alongside Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother. And he was wonderful on set as well. Wow. So talented. I just, when you told me that, I was like, that was you? <laughs> wow. The raccoon on Guardians yeah, of the Galaxy. It was, it was so much fun. Such a laugh, as you can tell by yeah. how funny the film is. And then 2014, it's still one of the best experiences working on The Force Awakens, Star Wars, mm -hmm. Episode 7. Uh, wonderful director, wonderful cast, creature team. I still work with the creature team to this day. And it's like we're known as the Star Wars family because you just, you know, see them and you pick up where you left off and... It's just, I don't know, it's just such a nice team to work with. But working on episode seven, I was the mass motion capture double, as well as playing a few other creatures. But I got to hold a lightsaber. Oh, my God. I know. And... Star Wars fans are getting <laughs> so jealous right now. <laughs> and, I, you know, sitting on set one day, I see um, Han Solo, Chewbacca and Stormtroopers, and I literally had to pinch myself. Oh, my God. But so th there's that. And since then, I've worked on pretty much all of the Star Wars, um, the other Star Wars films, eight, episodes eight and nine, and the other TV series, like wow. Andor. Um, the only project that I didn't work on was Solo, because I was expecting, and okay. um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure I was taking care of myself at that time, Absolutely. and not doing anything too physical. Absolutely. Wow, so many hats, like, like it's phenomenal. Every time we catch up, I just learn so many new things <laughs> about you, it's, it's amazing. You just make me smile every time we talk about it. So you said you became a mum. Yes. So you've got a son. Yes. Um, so at what point did your son realise you? Because obviously mummy's mummy, right? Yeah. At what point did he start to notice differences from you to other mums? I think because we started talking about it, before he started nursery, he started when he was three, 
and I started telling him that, look, you know, mummy is small. Okay. And I said, look, people come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, some people are small, some people are tall. This is how we'd recite it. And we were in the car and he said, well, the first time I told him, he said, well, mummy, you know, I would get a magic wand and make you bigger. Oh. But that's just, you know, a child's innocence. Yeah. But, you know, he knows I'm small and it's not affected him in any way you know he still wants me to carry him <laughs> and I still do I'm like well man wow. <laughs> you're getting too big for me it is it is but it last summer we were in the park and you know kids like before becoming a mum I would avoid being around other children because there were there are so many questions because they're innocent and they want yeah. to know but then sometimes children you know children can also be cruel you know just stare or, or say names and stuff and we were in a park last summer and a young girl came up to me and said, oh, how old are you? And my son heard and he said to the young girl, excuse me, don't ask my mummy any more questions. So he's oh, also like my protector, protector but I don't want him to have that pressure yeah. that he has to be my protector. And that's all the more reason why I'm trying to change perceptions and why I'm doing the motivational speaking that I'm doing and yeah. talking about differences and talking to educational establishments and organisations and talking about being different and being Absolutely. unique, being, you know, there's no such thing as normal. Yeah. I mean, so touching on your talks, because every guest I've had on the podcast, I've said we, we really need to go into schools and do these stories there because it starts from our younger generation, you know, <laughs> normalising everything that, that's in front of them. So you do talks in schools and companies. So what sort of motivational talks do you talk about? Is it many your journey? Yes, it's my journey. And to schools, I focus on, you know, how it was for me as a teenager and how I felt at the time and talking about loving yourself. And, you know, it's great to be different. And I, I you know, I'd word it as how boring is it if we all look the same? We've all got different ideas. We all, we've got different hair. We dress differently. And, yeah. you know, and it's so great. And, you know, we're, we're all friends because... We like who the other person is because of their differences and different ideas and things. Yeah. Um, and I focus on that with schools. Um, with organisations, I often talk about, um, um, you know, not being afraid to ask for help. Um, like when I started working in the corporate environment, um, I never asked for a stool to use the kitchen. And, you know, like my friends at work would always make teas and coffees. But, you know, I was never the person who made teas and coffees and stuff. Wow. But, you know, if I wanted to use a kitchen, I couldn't really. And don't be afraid. Don't go without. Because if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. Um, and, and it probably wasn't even on their mind, was it? Like, no, no. It didn't cross their mind that this no. is what our needs right now. No. And, and, and as I move, moved on in the corporate world, you know, other organisations, I would actually start saying, oh, yeah, I need a stall. And... Um, about social media as well, um, maybe about four years ago, um, I was in my car, I was going to go and get a pedicure done and I noticed three people, you know, in front of me in the car, um, they had their camera phones, they were filming me in my car. Oh my God. And because I look small, yeah. and in this damn world, you know what's going to happen, this is going to end up on social media mm. with derogatory terms, but when you're in your car, that's your safe space. Yes. And I felt violated. Totally. And Especially because they wouldn't even ask you for permission to post exactly. it. Exactly. And I was tempted to get out of the car because that's the kind of person I am now. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing? Stop what you're doing. You don't have my permission to do that. Yeah. Um, 
but I felt like my confidence was taken away mm. and and you know when I got home I cried to my husband we reported it as a hate crime but you know it's a trivial crime compared to so many other things that are going <coughs> on so what I did was to take to social media myself and talk about what had happened Brilliant. and you know you've con you'd now have control over that narrative yeah. Isn't yeah. It? Yes. And you reach more people as well. Yes. With yeah. social media, that, that that's really sad to hear that. That's yeah. You know, for for what for for posts and views and for some yes. someone's personal joke. That's really sad to hear. Yeah. That's why it's so important to speak up and totally. don't be afraid. You have a lot of people behind you. Yeah. So. So you touched on the corporate world and you got your job in media sales. Yeah. So um, obviously you said you know the times are changing, but. Um, what did they do to accommodate you, or did you also get some sort of, uh, you know, ever felt excluded and, and other things in the, in the workplace? I was never excluded. I, honestly, yeah. I, they, they had a meeting before I started and explaining, oh, you know, Artisha is joining, she's four foot tall. I was never treated differently at all. Brilliant. Um, I had a chair made actually with a stool attached, you know, because your legs have to be, you know, in a certain angle yeah. and, you know, and, and things like that. But. Um, I was never treated differently at That's all so nice to hear. and it was interesting when I moved into recruitment because a lot of business is done over the phone and then you go to face to face meetings yeah. and you know a couple of times I would turn up because why would I tell anybody hey I'm four foot tall yeah I turn up and there'll be a bit of shock you yeah. know like oh that's when I just take over the meeting and walk away with the business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. That's, yeah. Your That's your superpower. Yeah. It's funny you say that, actually, because my first job when I finished university was um, a company called Teletext Holidays, ah. right, back in the day. And there was no one like me, for example, you know, no one brown. Yeah. And I remember I'd go to a meeting or an event and people would go, oh, you're brown. Like, there's not a lot of your lot here. And I just used to go, because we're all in IT and finance, aren't we? Yes, you know, yes, because, yeah. You know, it's like, what, what were you expecting? You've spoken yeah. to me many times on the phone, because it wasn't really virtual then. Yeah. They didn't know what you looked like. So then the times they'd meet you would be in person. Yeah. But it's so interesting how people just have that perception. They've got that bias of who's going to yeah. walk in. And then they're like, oh. But you can see it in their face, yeah. even if they don't say it. So that's the unconscious bias, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that's why, and another reason I want to try and change perceptions and, and, you know, be on the forefront of things so that people realise, yeah, there are people like RT. Yeah, okay, fine, it's acceptable. Because so many times I'm walking down the street, I would get stared at a lot. Yeah. Um, but I'm, quite, I'm oblivious to it because... I'm so used to it, but I notice it with my son, you know. Yeah. I get stared at and I don't want him to feel, oh, mummy's being stared at again and, oh, you know. And, and with, like, like I said, they go in that protector mode, don't they? They do. And they even do. though you're probably saying, mum's fine, I'm fine with myself, they still yeah. feel it because they, yeah. they see the stares. Yes. You know, yeah. I remember, you know, when I was younger, um, my dad wears a turban and I used to remember going to certain places and I could feel... Like people staring at my dad, yeah. Because you know, they, I don't know if they're racist or they've not yeah. seen someone with a turban before. But yeah. I mean, I've never asked my dad this right now. But mm. my dad's going to watch this. But I, I wonder if he noticed, or was it just me noticing? Yeah. Or did we become oblivious to? Because they're that generation that came from yeah. Kenya to to this place, and it was that it was either frowned upon or people like were interested in it. Oh, yeah. who's this person who's different? Yeah. So it's interesting. As a child, I remember just seeing the stares, mm -hmm. but not saying it as well. Yes. So sometimes your son might be seeing it, but not saying it. Yes. Um, but it's so nice that you're aware of it and that the, the way you're teaching it when you're going to schools, I, I, I love that. Um, 
you've got an amazing story. I know it's not just not your motivational talks in your social media. I know you're also writing an autobiography. So tell us a bit more about this book that you're writing. So it's pretty much my life from the beginning to where I am now about being a child, about the leg lengthening, about how I felt. It's, it, you know, in much more detail, much more emotions um, about, you know, going to the corporate world and, you know, the stereotypes, the unconscious bias that I faced back then. Um, and then, you know, pursuing the film industry, the entertainment industry, the auditions, the, um, you know, the experiences of working on films and how important it has been to me and how, like, I fondly hold on to those memories because it, it's even... I can't believe it, you know, this is what I've done. The girl who had stones thrown at and was called names is now doing this. Yeah. And How many people can say they're part of a Star Wars family? I know. You know, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> like, it's so powerful what you've been through. And, and it's also inspiring for other people that are listening to this that, like, it's going to be okay. Like, yes. you know, it works out in the end. The storm does pass. Yes, you know? yes. So I know we, we spoke off, off camera before about this, but, you know... We don't want to put labels on ourselves and mm -hmm. people. And I've noticed the film industry is changing. I know there's lots of D&I going on mm -hmm. in front of the camera, off camera. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you don't have to play the small person. Mm -hmm. You can play any role. Mm -hmm. And are you seeing the change turning in the film industry? Or is there still more work to be done? So since um, we, we were in lockdown, um, so many auditions were done online and which is a lot easier because you're not stressing about getting from a to b or not being able to reach the buzzer to get into the audition and oh God, stuff yeah. like that but um i'm noticing there's a huge emphasis on diversity and inclusion but part of me sometimes wonders oh is it a tick box yeah but hey you know it's opening doors which is great and i'm getting more and more you know opportunities to audition for um, streaming channels and films with roles with dialogue where, you know, a part is written for somebody who is a bit different. Not necessarily, you know, that they are an elf or something. It's just a different character. It's a character, but they happen to be a small person. Yeah. But they are, you know, could be a warrior or could be a teacher or, you know, anything. So that there is a big, you know, um, change happening. But I'm still, you know, trying to get out there and yeah. uh, be seen and you know, get, get a great part with dialogue, could, which could be, you know, even a superhero or something. Absolutely. Mm. Anything, anything. You can do, put your mind to anything. Yes. You, you've already got so many hats on. <laughs> but in terms of the DNI stuff as well, because I had the same when I went to my current company, you know, people were like, you know, I've done a lot of talks about this and people that, that follow me have heard this before. But, you know, they'd say, you know, are you not tokenism now because you're the only woman or the only Indian, South Asian? Yeah. And I said... No, because what's going to happen is I'm going to be the first. Yes. I will inspire more people. Yes. And then I will drive change. And there will be more people coming up the ladder with me. There'll be yes. more seats at yes. the table. And also there might be someone like us that's like, I never thought I could do that. But now I've seen you. Yeah. I can also do it. So the yes. inspirational story of yes. what we've been through. Yes. Um, as being different yes. or standing out or being the first. Mm. I think it's a great ripple effect. And I talk about the butterfly effect, the ripple effect. Like, change is coming, but it's just happening slowly yes. and in the right way. Yeah. Um, so what you're doing is amazing. And even if you are the first, you're going to be the first of many, you know. And people, and I say it on my podcast a lot, you're going to, someone listening, you're going to inspire somebody mm -hmm. that you will actually never meet. 
mm. because they're going to hear it from a different country or a different part of the, yeah. the world and you've made an impact today on somebody yeah. whether it's because they're like you or like me or not or nothing but the fact that they are different mm-hmm. um, and when they're in that room it's okay to be different absolutely you know yes um so i absolutely love your story really admire what you're doing um i am is there anything else you want to touch on before we have our closing question. Is there anything else you'd like to get across to the audience for today? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's absolutely fine. So I know we've touched on lots of very topics as well. So um, we have a closing question on the podcast. Um, And so I would like the audience to come away from today Mm. uh, and say, now I know it's okay to be different. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Guys, this was um, (laughs) Arthur's idea. We've got to call this now and it's okay to be different. So with everything you've been through, Mm. what would you tell your younger self? Always believe in yourself. I I didn't. Um, when I was going through that dark time, I didn't believe in myself as an individual. I didn't believe that I was capable of fitting into this world, this society. I didn't believe that I would be accepted. Um, I didn't believe that uh, my life would be okay. You know, in fact, it was all the opposite. But it's so important to believe in yourself because you can do it love it believe and i think one something i've noticed which is common on everything you said is you had really great friends around you really great work people really great parents um and not everyone is as as fortunate as that yes so i think having that support network is amazing isn't it it is um so i know you want to build a community around you as well so people listening how can they follow you on instagram and how can they get in touch with you okay the, the, I, i've got all the social pages but the easiest thing is to go on my website okay and on there you've got links to all my socials as well brilliant <laughs> so everyone listening tinyrt.com yes please follow her and also there's more coming in the pipeline so you've really got to watch this space because Arthur's working on something right now. We can't disclose it, but it's really exciting. Um, I don't know how more exciting you can get with what your current portfolio <laughs> is, but I'm really, really excited for you. And really thank you for joining. And it might even be nice to do a part two late, late, later in the year with all the stuff you're working on. Yes. Maybe seeing this has been, if you've seen a difference in six months' time in the media industry. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, let's do that. Um, but thank you so much for your time, Arthur. And I know you've got to get back to your schedule. <laughs> so I'm so grateful for your time. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're welcome.